welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian Public Service. My name is Holly Noble and I'm your guest host for today. In my day job, I'm Director of Governance, Planning and Performance at the Department of Finance and IPA ACT's Company Secretary. Before we get started today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're meeting, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and this region. I'd also like to warmly acknowledge the custodians of all the lands from where anybody is listening to this podcast is also joining us from. On today's episode, we want to talk to you about LGBTQIA pride in the public sector. For clarity, LGBTQIA stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer or questioning, intersex and asexual. With World Pride underway in Sydney, there truly is no better time to talk about this topic. For those of you who don't know, World Pride is a global LGBTQIA festival that has been staged since 2000. Sydney was chosen to be the host for 2023, marking the first time a city in the Southern Hemisphere is hosting the event. In the spirit of celebration, we want to talk to you about what Pride looks like in the public sector and how we can create workplaces that reflect the full diversity of the community in its workforce. But we also want to shine a light on the less glamorous parts. According to the Diversity Council of Australia, only 32% of LGBTQIA respondents to their survey were out to everyone at work. They also found that concealing affected the person's well-being, making them twice as likely to feel down compared to employees who are out to everybody at work. They're also 45% less likely to be satisfied with their job. So today, we want to discuss how the public sector could bring about change in this space and ensure that the LGBTQIA community feels valued, safe and respected at work. We'll be hearing from three outstanding panellists on this topic today who are all joining us online. First up, we have David Momchilovich. David is the Director at the Office of LGBTQIA Plus Affairs at the ACT Government, Chief Minister Treasury and Economic Development Directorate. David previously worked at the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Welcome, David. Can you please tell us your pronouns? Hi, Holly. It's great to be here. My pronouns are he, him. Thank you, David. And dialing in from Sydney, we have Francis Gamble. Francis is the Chief Executive Officer of Out for Australia, as well as Principal Strategic Designer at the Australian Bureau of Statistics, with over 10 years' experience in the for-purpose sector. Out for Australia empowers LGBTQIA people to thrive at work in the formative stages of their career and is known for running Australia's largest LGBTQIA career mentoring program. Welcome to Work With Purpose, Frances. Can you please tell us your pronouns? Thanks, Holly. My pronouns are she, her. And finally, also joining us online from Sydney is Marty Jovic. Marty is a health economist and a partner at PwC Australia. He is also the people leader for PwC's consulting business and has been the co-partner sponsor of Shine, PwC's LGBTQIA employee network since 2016. Welcome, Marty. 
Can you please tell us your pronouns? Hi, Holly. My pronouns are he, him. Um, it's lovely to be here with you. It's great to have all of you here with us today. So let's kick off. As Sydney World Pride is currently underway, I'd love to start the conversation off by unpacking LGBTQIA plus Pride for our listeners. So opening the floor to everybody, what does Pride look and feel like to you? Thanks, Holly. I'm happy to go first. It's a word that holds a lot of meaning for me. Uh, to me, Pride is about being seen, heard, loved and accepted. It's about all that's come before and all that will come next. It's being unapologetic about who you are. It's about being kind to yourself and those around you. And pride means people with diverse bodies, genders, sexualities and relationships matter and people care about them. A lot of people in the community may not care about pride, but millions of people who don't have a voice or representation care a lot. Just because homophobia or transphobia is not in your immediate line of sight, it doesn't mean it's not affecting a lot of people. So for a teenager down the street who feels confused and conflicted and not welcome because of who they are, they care about pride. Or someone who is battling every day with thoughts about suicide and sees the pride march and has a ray of hope, that's who cares about pride. And that's what pride looks and feels like to me. Thank you, David. Thanks, David. I'm, I'm happy to go next, Francis, here. Um, I think, you know, David already gave a really great answer. Um, I think building on that, this question makes me think about uh, something that Kate Wickett, who's the CEO of Sydney World Pride, um, has said on, on panels that I've uh, seen before about pride being uh, the opposite of shame. And I think that that's something that's uh, really uh, pertinent for us in the LGBTQIA plus community when uh, many of us are brought up with that expectation or normative uh, society around us that shame is something we should feel about about our identity. And so Pride is, is an act of resistance against that. It's when you've got great events like Sydney World Pride and Mardi Gras, it's, it's an act of joy and, and you feel euphoria and, and, and gratitude. I think particularly for myself, gratitude is, is really, really strong for me because us being able to have these sort of celebrations and events wouldn't have been possible without the work of, of those that have come before us. Um, and so I'm, as a, as a relatively young person in this community, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for, for those that have come before us. And so that's what Pride means to me. Francis, I'm happy to, to jump off the, the, the back of that. And I think as a, a, a relatively old person in the community, um, <laughs> I, I think there's still, uh, from what Francis and, and David said, very similar thoughts I was having about this question too, which is, for me, I, I bring it back to the interaction with confidence. That's kind of where I see that pride around, that confidence to be yourself, that confidence to show yourself to others um, and as Francis put it, when when really historically that that link to shame meant that the confidence to absolutely feel confident and comfortable to do that was really hard and continues to be hard for people in our community. I think the other way to look at pride is I think more recently when you see others outside of the community being active in their support of the LGBTIQ plus community, to me I also feel pride when I see that, which goes we're, we're now we're receiving support in a really active, visible way um, that makes people within the community feel that confidence and feel like they can really be themselves and it's a, the mix of the two. I think 
there, there's also something in what David and Francis both said, which is there's, there's just a feeling of pride that kind of happens in your gut when you when you go to a Mardi Gras or a Pride event or World Pride in this instance that just is hard to describe, but it does make you feel feel like there's a real joy um, in the community that I just think, you know, is, is a really important factor in LGBTIQ plus inclusion. It's amazing how one word can invoke so many emotions um, and so many smiles from us all today, which is just fantastic. Francis, um, Tell me, this is quite an historic event. What does it mean to you that World Pride is being hosted in Sydney for the first time? Thanks, Holly. You mentioned at the start that it's the first time it's been held in the Southern Hemisphere uh, since uh, it started in 2000. And so uh, to quote Lizzo, uh, I might say that it's about damn time. But I think also on a more serious note, I think it's incredibly heartening, particularly uh, with us being able to have this event post-COVID. And I think that uh, as a community, we're incredibly appreciative of it, potentially even more so than we might have been prior to the to the pandemic but even even just the the sense of having all all of these uh, people around uh, from around the world uh, coming and and celebrating this all together here in Sydney. Going back to our first question, it just makes me incredibly proud uh, to be here. Even if I was at Fair Day yesterday uh, at at our Out for Australia stall and it was very overwhelming, the number of people that were there, but the fact that so many of our community and and our allies are, are here to support us and seeing just a diverse range of people, I think, is just really, really fills your cup. Well, this is definitely a a global movement and there's things happening um, all over Australia. David, your work focuses on supporting and strengthening Canberra's diverse LGBTQIA plus individuals and communities. Can you tell us a little bit about what the ACT is doing to celebrate Pride? Yeah, thanks, Holly. Through the ACT government's Capital of Equality Grants Program, we are proudly supporting Canberrans to participate in events and display their talent at World Pride. So this includes supporting the Canberra Choir to participate in the Out and Loud and Proud Festival Gala Concert at Sydney Town Hall. We're also supporting our very own iconic First Nations drag performer, Mad B, to stage their show, Daddies Can Be Divas 2, Don't I Know It. And we're supporting Rainbow Racket Squash to play in the Pride Open Tournament. And we're also bringing the Mardi Gras Film Festival to Canberra in March uh, through Queer Screen. So a whole lot of things happening. We're also really proud to be supporting um, the amazing team at Meridian to stage Fresh Out Fair Day in Canberra, an event for the whole community showcasing LGBTIQA plus pride and diversity. And this year, Meridian are amping up the energy by partnering with the Enlightened Festival, along with a fresh new brand, theme spaces and non-stop entertainment. So Fresh Out is a one-day outdoor event on Saturday, the 11th of March, in Glebe Park in Canberra, featuring Australia's finest performing artists and a village of market stalls, representing our diverse community organisations and local businesses. And I encourage everyone to check it out as part of the Enlightened Pride weekend over Canberra Day Long Weekend. There's some amazing things happening in this space, which is fantastic to see. Not everything's quite so amazing, though. Marty, can you talk to us about 
What are some of the barriers the LGBTQIA plus community faces in the workplace? Chloe, I think it's really important that we we have this part of the conversation as well as part of World Pride, which is, and I mean, you touched on it in your intro, introduction. There's kind of two areas that I would would like to kind of um, discuss. And the first really is around the impacts and challenges around mental health in the LGBTIQ plus community. And that initial conversation we've had around what does pride mean and the link to shame and the link to confidence um, and being able to be your true self completely at work um, absolutely has an impact on um, uh, people's mental health um, when that isn't at its best and isn't completely available. And so really thinking through how that mental health space and mental health focus is impacted by people when they don't really visibly see active allyship, active support of the LGBTI community and signals that show that um, an organisation and a workplace aligned on LGBTIQ plus inclusion. And that goes to things like policies that are available for people in a workplace, celebrations of days of significance, all of those things that in isolation may seem simple, but for somebody who is part of a community that may just be thinking about coming out, that is just trying to work out their workplace, those visible things are really important and the impact that then flows on to their mental wellbeing in the positive or the negative, depending on um, how included they feel, I think is, is absolutely a challenge that we need to continue to work on. And I think the second there is when we talk about the LGBTIQ plus community, we are talking about a connected community, but we are talking about lots of different people within a community with different needs um, more broadly and different needs within their workplace. And so although we may well have made great advances in lots of ways in some parts of our community, we also need to remember that the challenge continues for specific members of our community. Uh, you know, just a couple of examples, there would be those that are gender diverse, or identify as gender diverse, and they're looking at gender affirmation, our transgender community, and the specific needs there, I think, are things that we can continue to support and enhance. I love your point, Marty. There, there is so much that's been done, but there's still so much more to do. Francis, at Out for Australia, you provide mentors, role models, thought leadership, and targeted support to aspiring LGBTQIA plus professionals. I'd love to get some pointers from you on how we might break down some of those barriers Marty just mentioned. Yeah, thanks, Holly. And I think there's there's sort of two two angles that you can you can consider this question. I think uh, on on one hand you've got the external what what I'll call the external factors, so the sort of environmental elements, and then you've also got the internal, or rather the the, the individual. And so what that looks like more so. I think of the external being being the workplace itself. So the workplace having having things in place such as policies, leadership and and cultural initiatives, internal advocacy, strong and effective DEI teams and investments, strong and effective uh, employee-led networks. And I think that workplaces, you know, it's a it's a place that we spend a lot of our time. Most of us, if you're working full time, you spend a third of your working week at work. 
work. And so it's really important that workplaces take that on and that they ensure that they are providing a, a, an environment that is supportive of their, their diverse staff. And I think it's also an opportunity to see them as a locus for change, particularly for, for those of our community that for whom their family environment can be a really hard place to be their authentic self. Imagine if, you know, if that's your experience, if you're able to go into work every day and have your identity verified and, and celebrated and respected. So I think I think that's a really important thing to 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 sort of keep in mind. And so a couple of a couple of points on the workplaces that that I'll just highlight is firstly that that point around staff networks. I think we often see see staff networks as potentially how do I put this um, politely? I suppose an an excuse for for some organisations to to not necessarily invest in in the work that needs to be done. But it's really important that those networks are performing the functions that a staff-led network should be appropriately asked to to do, as opposed to what your diversity, equity and inclusion team might do, such as writing a policy, for example. Your DEI team might write the policy and then it's the role of the staff network to be consulted on that and ensure that it is representative of of their views and is going to support them. And then another, another example that I want to highlight is around budgets and ensuring that there are actually dollars put behind this initiative, these various initiatives, because they really demonstrate where your values lie as an organisation and consider the messaging that you are sending your members of marginalised groups. And I'm not just talking about the LGBTQIA plus community, I'm talking about many of them. Consider the message that you're sending your, your groups when you don't place investment in them and, and therefore inadvertently how you might be contributing to the existing diversity challenges. So that's the workplace. When we talk about the individual, there's actually a lot that that is around that uh, internal piece that as much as you could have a workplace that is really supportive and don't don't get me wrong, what I'm about to say does not absolve workplaces of a responsibility to provide that setting, but as much as you can have a supportive workplace, there's a lot that comes with the individual in terms of, you know, past experience that may be very difficult for a workplace to, to challenge. So what I'm talking about there, and that's this is the space that Out for Australia works in, is around the communities and relationships that outside the workplace that can really support a really strong, strong workplace experience. And a couple of examples of, of why that's a, a really important thing to, to think about is that, say, say for example, if, if you're at a much smaller organisation, not many organisations that are, you know, of, of that smaller size may be well set up to have those DEI structures in place. And so being able to connect to your community outside, whether that be mentors, whether that be volunteer networks or networking relationships, can be a really, really supportive way for you to connect with that part of your identity. And I think as well, back to Marty's point around the fact that we are a community of communities. And as much as you might have a strong pride network or DEI environment in your organisation, you might find that you you're needing support outside of your organization to support your whatever your uh, intersectional identity might be so whether you you might be a, a trans or gender diverse person of color and, and you want to um, seek support from folks that are like you that have had those similar experiences and 
you may not see anyone in your organization that openly identifies with with that part. I think it's really important to understand there's a role for both the workplace and the individual and the various organizations to support both of those experiences. That's been so helpful, Francis. I I wonder, can you tell me a little bit about what role mentoring can play in helping young people in particular transition to the workplace and improve their confidence and sense of self? Yeah, thanks, Holly. And I think the before we get into the role of mentoring, I think it's really important to understand why Out for Australia believes that there should be a really strong focus on young young people in our community. And that's because, you know, with the statistics that you mentioned at the start, we know that young people are the least likely to, to be out in the workplace. So 24.5% of 18 to 25-year-olds uh, were out to um, everyone in the workplace, that is less than half of those over 35. And that is despite the fact that we know that, our, that, that younger people in our community are coming out earlier and that they are more likely to identify as LGBTQIA+. And so when you keep that in mind, it's clear that there is something that, that really needs to be done about supporting the younger members of our community so that they can be their authentic self in the workplace. And so as Marty spoke about at the start as well, so they can have that confidence in being their authentic self at work. So Bridging back to the the answer that I was talking about earlier, so mentoring is is about building a relationship with someone that you know is is supportive, and so that might be someone that uh, shares an element of your identity with you that you can't necessarily see in your workplace. It might be someone that you can speak to in a place that is that feels safe because you need someone to talk about those sort of work challenges without the bias of being in your team. Although that being said, I would say some of the best managers or leaders I've had have also been mentors as, as well to some to some respect. And I think a really great role that a mentor can play is really mirroring back the experiences that you're sharing with them to help you build that confidence. And so sort of talking through and 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 doing that through through building trust and over a number of mentoring catch-ups that you might have over that length of time, you are they are able to provide that depth of support that that you can't quite get in in hearing a talk or or um, you know reading a policy or, or what have you. So, look, I could go on from on about mentoring for a long time, but I think that's a yeah, it's it's just a really important tool to have in the kit that that yeah, any, anyone can reach for that. If I can, I would encourage anyone listening today, whether you're a member of our community or, or if you're an ally that is, is passionate about supporting the younger folks in our community to be their authentic selves at work, I would encourage you to, to consider mentoring for yourself too. The human support element is, is so important, Francis. You're, you're absolutely right. And I'm really conscious that this is a huge topic and we're trying to fit a lot into a very short space of time. But in this context, we thought it would be particularly crucial to touch on intersectionality. Intersectionality refers to the way in which different aspects of a person's identity can expose them to overlapping forms of discrimination and marginalisation. Such aspects can be gender, sex, ethnicity, sexual orientation and more. David, can you tell us a bit more about the intersectionality approach to achieving equity and why that's so important? 
Thanks, Holly. It's a really important question. And for me, another way of framing this question is, is to ask why are efforts to achieve equity still not intersectional? So what do I mean by that? So regardless of the priority community, whether it's LGBTIQA+, or culturally and linguistically diverse, engaging with one group means doing work intersectionally. And there is a need to approach this holistically, understanding that one's gender, sexuality or race cannot be isolated. So what works for an LGBTIQA plus person who is an Australian citizen and able-bodied, for example, will not work for an LGBTIQA plus person on a temporary visa who has a chronic illness and lives in poverty. So unfortunately, we still see efforts to achieve equity assuming homogeneity and thus not achieving their end goals. But how can we change this course? I think a couple of ideas are through strong and meaningful community engagement and co-design by public policymakers being conscious of who is in the room and who is who is not, and thus seeking alternative ways to have different voices heard and reflected. And finally, by being open to hearing and understanding uncomfortable truths. And I think if all public policymakers have these um, this frame of thinking front and foremost in their minds when they're you know creating a new policy, um, that will help ensure that efforts to achieve equity are intersectional and that nobody is left behind. Thank you, David. And Marty, at PwC, you are part of the Shine Network and partnering with Superfriend, you conducted research into the well-being of LGBTQIA plus community at PwC. What are some of the changes you've seen in workplaces recently to improve the well-being of the LGBTQIA plus community at work? Yeah, thanks, Holly. And I think that this connects quite well to what um, David and Francis have been talking about. I think if I go to some of the changes that have been really visible, policy is the one over the last few years that that has probably had the most impact, Um, even though you kind of talk about a workplace policy and it feels that it might be a little bit kind of uh, hidden and to the side, but actually are really important in helping people feel included. But to Francis' earlier point, forming those policies in a way so that it's not being um, driven by an employee network, but rather being driven by a firm-wide DNI team or the appropriate team in your workplace and then making sure that you're getting the voice of the lived experience in the development of that policy. And I think that goes to David's point, which is um, I've seen great change in getting that voice of lived experience, but we've also got to remember that we have a very broad community. And so the breadth of that voice um, needs to continue to evolve and change to make sure that we're really um, we really have policies that are attuned to the diversity in the community that we have. Some great progress but more to do in that space. Uh, I think the other area where we've seen some change um, through that research that you talked about was really the need for active um, visibility and role modelling. And it was interesting in our research that um, people that we talked to um, wanted to see that from others uh, that come from the LGBTIQ plus community, but not only. Um, They also want to see Uh, allies being really active, senior people in an organisation being very active in their allyship, um, and that that has a really meaningful impact on people's 
um, engagement in a workplace, but also that link back to their well-being um, and their mental health as well. I think the last one I would highlight is just the change and movement to being more targeted around and um, I would call unique uh, leadership development opportunities. And maybe it's connected to Francis' earlier point around mentorship. I think the extension of that is then how are we making sure that we're providing opportunities for our people um, from the LGBTIQ plus community in an organisation to, one, have the ability to develop their leadership capabilities, but one, to do that with a really targeted focus on the capabilities that they already have as part of the LGBTIQ plus community. Now, of course, um, they're not all unique and they're not all consistent, but thinking about how we bring people together from the community to talk about leadership, to talk about challenges in leadership that may be similar, that help people kind of think through that. The other thing I've also seen is um, we're now not talking about LGBTIQ plus um, leadership as only people that are particularly senior in the workplace. It's kind of how do we show leadership um, within the community and with our lives at any level um, around uh, LGBTIQ plus inclusion, but also in opportunities of being a leader in the workplace regardless. So they would be just a few changes that I, I've seen lots of progress on. And as we talked about, still a ways to go, but nice to be able to see some changes in the last little while. And that's amazing. I'd like to tie all this together in asking each of you, moving forward, how can the public sector ensure that the LGBTQIA plus community is supported and celebrated? And I'm aware that's a very, very big and difficult question to be putting on you to, to end the, the show with, but some words of wisdom. Yeah, I'm happy to happy to kick us off. So I think there's there's two main things that I would say here and I'll, I'll let David and Marty add anything further. I think firstly, listen. I think it's really important that when you do that, that as a workplace, you understand the power dynamics that, that come into, into play there and ensuring that you are creating safe spaces for your staff to share their views. I think that example of sort of creating the policy, um, you need to make sure that uh, you're providing ways for many of your different employees with different access needs um, to, to engage in that conversation when you're actually asking for them to share their views. So that's number one, listen. Number two, it's, it's a bit of a broad message, but understand that Supporting and celebrating the LGBTQIA plus community is is not only not incongruent with the APS values, sorry, there are a lot of negatives there, but it is very much in line with, with our APS values that as public servants, we are committed to, to um, abiding by. There is a very big difference between having a political opinion and uh, claiming that you have a right to, for one of a better description, having a right to... to inadvertently discriminate against your colleagues. For example, uh, it's, you know, the, the value around um, ethics and, and having integrity and being a leader and being trustworthy. It's really important that you're, that you're open to supporting the various members of your, your workforce. The very simple value of respect. We all have a right to work free from discrimination in a workplace that is uh, supportive of us. And right back to what you said at the start around that idea of being committed to service. When you support us and when you celebrate us, we are better at our jobs. We form better relationships with our colleagues. We are more productive. We are happier. And 
even if we were working for a for-profit company, you would know that happy employees uh, equals more more profit. In this case, happier employees equals more public value. So supporting and celebrating us is incredibly in line with APS values and we should make sure that we are uh, are, are doing just that. I'm happy to jump in next. <laughs> um, I think people shouldn't have to choose between authenticity and being part of the tribe. And that's true for any setting where humans interact with one another, whether it's family settings, friendship circles, or in workplaces. Um, like Francis, I believe the public sector can support LGBTIQA plus people in many, many ways. Firstly, I think everyone needs a work best friend. And I think the concept of work best friend is something that's really been lost as a result of more people working remotely. And I really encourage people in my team and my organisation to connect with each other and understand their colleagues a little better, to check not only that they're okay, but also to understand different lived experiences from our own. More people than ever, particularly young people, have the language to acknowledge and respect the diversity of our community. So there's lots that can be learned by listening and connecting with each other and using that language in ways that's meaningful in public policy making. And I think it's also essential for any public sector organisation that develops policy or has customer facing functions to invest in training and education for staff performing those functions. It's absolutely critical. And I'm not talking about e-learning here, I'm talking about in-person professional development with people with lived experience. So local organisations in Canberra like Agenda Agenda, which is a specialist organisation supporting trans, gender diverse and intersex people, they can provide bespoke training to public sector organisations and investing in that training and education is also a really great way of supporting these small organisations to be sustainable. And maybe I'll just add a couple of thoughts around from the public service perspective, but thinking about a group of allies, um, maybe my additional message, because I agree with everything that Francis and, and David have already said, is um, maybe a few things, which is one, the opportunity to provide people from the LGBTIQ plus um, community with an opportunity to celebrate, with an opportunity to lead. And that really is an active form of allyship that, you know, might get lost um, sometimes. And that actually, that's a really important piece. Also, as I said earlier, remembering that from the research we conducted, there was a real view that um, wanting to see allies be active in their support and to be role models around LGBTIQ plus inclusion and what an opportunity to do that. And I think there's two practical ways that people can do that. I think there's something in uh, what Francis and David were previously saying, which is being part of the LGBTIQ plus community is a strength, is a strength in the workplace, is a strength to an individual. And coming to a conversation with someone around that strength focus um, rather I think really has a lot of meaning to that individual to go, there is a difference and that difference is good. Um, and how can we kind of bring that um, and spread that into the workplace? And I think the other is just one, a really practical one, which is I know, um, you know, lots of people who are allies will say, use language like, oh, I don't care if you're gay or I don't care if you're part of the LGBTIQ plus community. Um, and what a nice twist if you were to say, actually, I really care that you're part of the LGBTIQ plus community. And I would love to talk about that more with you. And I would love to talk about your experience more. And just that small shift in language, which has the same meaning and intent, um, 
I just think really opens up opportunities for any allies that are listening to really have a, a meaningful and visible impact on um, the LGBTIQ plus community. Language is so key. Um, and this has just been such a, a rich and thought-provoking discussion. A couple of things that really resonated with me Um I loved the the definition that pride is an act of resistance against shame Um, and it's the opposite of shame. It's an act of joy and gratitude which is just an amazing way to look at it. There's a lot more to be done to support younger people in our community be their authentic selves at work and the human support element really matters. We really need to keep intersectionality equity lens front and centre of policy development with a particular regard to listening to the voice of lived experience. And I really liked the observation that just because it's not in your immediate line of sight doesn't mean that your views and uh, your way of uh, approaching things is not affecting others. There's a really strong mental health impact and there's a real role to be active in your awareness and your allyship. We spend so much of our time at work, so regardless of your organisation's size, there's a role for all of us to play and many resources to use and places to go for support in upskilling to make sure that we're building inclusive, safe and respectful workplaces for everybody. Francis, David, Marty, thank you so much for joining us today. Your insights have just been extraordinary. We're very, very grateful for your sharing all of your experience and advice. As always, we'll leave links to any studies and statistics we referenced in the show notes for today. To our listeners, if you want to engage with our podcast, leave us questions or comments and please reach out to us. Connect with us via our IPA ACT or content group profiles on LinkedIn or send us an email to events at act.ipa.org.au. Thank you again to our fantastic listeners who submitted questions for this episode. We really love making you part of this discussion. Work with Purpose is produced in collaboration between Content Group and the Institute of Public Administration Australia, ACT, and supported by the Australian Public Service Commission. We'll be back with a new episode in two weeks' time. If you're keen on more public sector insights right now, we highly recommend listening to prior episodes. There's a treasure trove of insights there. Work With Purpose is on all of our podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Last but not least, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review. We love hearing about what you think of this podcast and how we can keep making it better. In our next episode, we'll be talking about what makes an effective partnership. So please send us your questions. Reach out via events at act.ipa.org.au. We really look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for tuning in for today and we'll be back in your ears in a fortnight. Goodbye.